Kia ora team and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. My name's Noel Wolof and on today's episode I'm joined by Jess Kerr. Jess is a former teacher turned professional athlete. She's now a professional cricket player playing for the White Ferns, New Zealand's national cricket team. She now travels the world playing the sport that she loves at the highest possible stages, doing this all alongside her sister, who's another cricket superstar, Amelia Kerr, who we also had on the podcast last year. Along the way, Jess has had to overcome some really complicated health issues, from being diagnosed with Bell's palsy, all the way to diabetes and more. Her story of resilience is bloody inspiring. Thanks heaps for tuning into this conversation and I hope you get some value out of it. If you want to keep supporting the podcast, please make sure you click follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and also tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share your favourite episode. I really appreciate all of the support, so thank you so much team. Welcome to episode number 32. Jess, welcome to the potty. Thanks for having me. Ah, thanks so much for, for jumping on and so stoked to line this up. I think I sent you a DM and it might have got stuck in the request <laughs> folder for a little bit, um, but I'm sure that's what happens when you're a professional athlete and you get lots of DMs from lots of people. So um, no, nah, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for jumping on. No, it's, it's awesome. And my first live podcast, actually. Is my it? second one ever. So oh, true. Let's hope I'm okay. No, nah, you'll be sweet. <laughs> um, is it, have you done like online ones before? I've done, yeah, one online and then yeah. just, of course, the usual interviews, but yeah, yeah. never, never in full depth so true yeah. nice well we will go beyond the surface <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no very cheesy jet dad joke um well Jess for people who don't know you do you mind just introducing yourself yeah I am Jess Kerr um born and bred in in Tower and very proud of it and um yeah I guess at the moment I'm a professional cricketer and um yeah that's luckily my career at the moment but yeah gr- um grew up in Tower went through schooling there and yep. and yeah absolutely loved it and yeah Studied teaching, yep. did that for a couple of years. Nice. But yeah, quite a quite a simple girl, really. Like my my um, my home sort of space and yep. family and whatnot. But yeah, yep. that's awesome. No, it's super cool. And I think like researching and looking into your story, Jess. You know, like you've been faced with so many obstacles to like get to where you are today. And I was looking through um, some like news articles and media articles and I was reading with just some of the like different health conditions which have been thrown at you over the years and I was like man isn't it it's just so so insane what different people can go through and and and, and where they can end up um but if we sort of start from the start so you your big focus growing up was um was running like do you yep. you did athletics you loved running um what was like the first like I guess positive happy experience or memory that you had especially around sport yeah yeah running was definitely my number one love and what I what I drew to um my mum and dad are both very sporty beings but that Mm. that was never their number one sport they were they were both cricketers and mum was a netballer as well so I don't actually know why I decided to get into it mum just put me in a club and from there it was all go but um yeah from from a young age, I was always outside with either mum or dad throwing a ball, running around, and mm-hmm. obviously um, lucky enough that my parents, um, you know, put me into clubs and sports. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess my youngest memories of athletics and my happiest memories, in a way, is you know being about seven, eight years old, going to Sunday into clubs with some of my best friends who I still talk to today. Cool. Um, giving everything a go, not just the running at mm. that age, it was the jumping and throwing and, yeah. and just parking up there for the day in the summer and it, yeah, just really happy memories. Yeah, um, was that in Mana Athletics by chance? Um, competed against people in at Mana but um, the club I joined first was Onslow and then yep. joined Olympic Carriers but yeah, it would would travel all around Wellington and then around the country. So that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, I've just got my daughter into uh, Mun Athletics. So awesome. yeah, she loves it. Eh? It's just straight into there. It's so funny, like watching the uh, long jump. Like yeah. they're running, and because I've never done it before, they're like jumping on two legs and hopping yeah. over the long jump. It's just like such good comedy to go yeah. there and watch. Yeah. Um, and your family comes from, you know, your sisters Amelia Kerr, who we've had on the show. Your was it your dad was also a cricketer. Yeah. Um, and your mum, what sport did she play? Was she cricket she as well? She was cricket and Welling, uh, cricket and netball for Wellington. So, Cr- net, like, netball, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you guys are almost like the Barrett family in the rugby, <laughs> but like the equivalent for cricket. Um, was there any pressure for like both you and your sister around 
like I, I'm kind of imagining your parents like you guys will be a professional athlete you know what I mean <laughs> no not at all I think um growing up the main thing our parents wanted us to do was to to be happy and of course they put us in sport and and, mm. and as a response we enjoyed it mm. um Merely actually didn't show much interest she says at a later age it was about six or seven but for me I was a toddler and and loving it but um I think that's almost what kept me in cricket is that I had didn't have that pressure from from my mum or dad saying mm. you have to do this you, you know when I know mm. a lot of parents sort of are quite you know tough on their children when for me it yeah. was if you don't want to play cricket right now when I was at school don't worry, you don't have to. Just mm. do what you enjoy and what makes you happy. And, mm. yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's awesome, eh? Um, I can imagine within your family as well, you guys must have had some of the most, like, epic backyard cricket battles of all time. <laughs> I think um, Amelia said that's kind of where she first got introduced to cricket. I imagine it's probably the same for you. Yeah, I mean, me and Amelia are only each other's siblings, but we've got a bunch of cousins and um, both our mum and dad have lots of siblings. So um, our uncle in particular used to have a house and he, you know, built this um, scoreboard with, um, yeah, you know, putting names on and names of honour and whatnot. So it was every year, Christmas Eve, we'd have this backyard battle, kids versus adults, and, and the adults would not go lightly on, yeah. on the kids. So <laughs> we really had to push hard to, to get the win. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys ever win? Or? Yeah, we did, um, from memory. But again, yeah, it was never never a given. Yeah, a bit of sledging going <laughs> yeah, on as well. For eh? sure, yeah. yeah. Your parents are, I won't, I won't feed you tonight if you yeah. don't, um, don't hit a six. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess you were... Really into running, doing athletics. Um, it, it, was that something growing up that you wanted to potentially turn into like a career? Yeah, for sure. And I guess you, I grew up probably watching the Olympics and that was a, a massive dream. And also just I had had a coach from a young age and, and my best friends did it. And, and I probably took it quite seriously from mm. a young age. Um, mm. <laughs> I'm, looking back, I don't know if it was too seriously, seriously or not, but yeah. I, I did love it. It was all me, not my parents. Mm. But um yeah, for sure. I wanted to represent New Zealand, and yeah, I, yeah, wanted to to achieve the highest level mm, possible. Mm, that's awesome, and I yeah, I definitely see this as a uh, as a parent who spectates over kids with uh, doing athletics and stuff. Like you can see those kids who are just like athletes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I, I won't I won't I won't go into go into my daughter for like she she absolutely gives it her best and does an awesome job and she's a good little runner but you can see those kids who you know just take it really serious and yep. you're like far out you know you've got some something special there yeah yeah it's also the natural talent too as a kid some are double the size of others and the natural talent gets them so far but 100 um, it's it's those that sort of persist when they get older yeah. past high school and and puberty kicks in and whatnot that yeah it sort of levels out of it but for yep. sure in athletics, some some natural talent gets you far as well. Totally. And I think as a child, like social currency is how fast you can run. Like yep. if you're the fastest runner, you're the like the most popular kid at the school. Yeah. Were yeah. you what was that kind of the same for for you? Yeah, I was probably known as like the running girl. I yeah. <laughs> I paved the streets of Tower and I think some parents were like, who, who is this girl? Like, who are these parents letting this girl run around Tower on her own? And, yeah, true. But, um, yeah, I was definitely known as the, the runner girl. And, yep. you know, when I was younger, I used to beat the boys and probably got seen as a bit of a tryhard, but it was just a way of expressing myself and I loved it and I was doing it for me not to mm. not to show off and mm. obviously in the weekends I'd go off and compete with runners so. yeah exactly yeah isn't it so backwards how if someone's good at something like you're a good runner you're beating the boys in New Zealand we have that mentality of like calling someone a try hard yeah yeah like when you really think back on that as like an adult now you're like that is such a backwards way of like encouraging people who are good at stuff to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cause yeah, if whatever you, if you're a good runner, I remember like people who are good at like football play that at lunch. If you score a goal, they're like, oh, try hard. You're trying too hard. Like you're just trying to be cool. And it's like, what? Not, I just wonder if that's the same in other cultures. I don't know. Yeah. And the fine line of you want to teach your kids to be confident and, mm. and you know, that sort of gets killed a bit as you get older, but then mm. when kids are young and a bit arrogant and whatnot, you sort of shut that down. So it's finding the right the Hard right out. balance, I guess. Definitely, so true. And so, when did your sort of like running journey come to an end? Because that came to an end with um, 
Was it through like a medical condition that you had around your shins? Yeah, yeah. Um, injuries sort of ruled, ruled me out. So I was about 16, um, just rolled my ankle in a race, thought it would be two to three weeks. But as I sort of came back from that, I went from being able to run 90 minutes on a Sunday with ease to really battling to run five minutes um, without stopping and, and mm. being in pain. So it was a long sort of two-year journey of figuring out what is this and trying to push through and as it was my my passion and love mm. and best friend, my best friends did it, like mm. I said. Um, but, yeah, I got diagnosed with compartment syndrome, absolutely gruelling test to get that diagnosis. It's about 24 needles in the leg. Oh, um, and in between those needles, you sort of have to jump around and stir up your calves. But um, I only just met the margin for that. But they sort of said, you know, you've had all these issues for a couple of years. Well, we're happy to operate. Um, so they did. That had a little bit of success, but again mm-hmm. not not much and then I ended up um, getting diagnosed with something else called popliteal artery entrapment syndrome which sounds it's a word and a it's half. a word and a half but um, essentially it meant an easier fix and going to Australia and getting Botox in my legs Botox in your legs yeah, interesting yeah. so um, got that once or twice but by that point it had been three to four years mm-hmm. um, by then I'd also been picked in the Wellington Blaze and mm-hmm. started loving that. So it was sort of like the path had closed. But obviously mm. cricket, there's still some fitness involved. So it was just getting to a level where I could, you know, go for a 30-minute run without mm. being in agony and, mm. and yeah, being able to bowl and whatnot. But yeah. even now, if I still wanted to run every single day, I would, I would definitely battle. But at mm. least that Botox sort of has helped um, to an extent. Yeah, that's super interesting. What does the Bot- Botox do to help your like to help that part of your leg yeah so essentially with the artery entrapment it's like your valves sort of stop flowing blood down down your leg again I'm not a not a good medical person or scientist but um, yeah um but yeah it stops the blood flow which causes the sensation of pain when when running and exercising and it's Mm. also why I wasn't sore at rest because I would go for a run be sore and then walk normally it's like not an injury where you're limping True. for for days on end. So yep. um, it was quite a tricky one. Um, but yeah, the the Botox goes into the arteries and, and releases that so the blood can flow through yeah. down down your calves, essentially. Wow. And yeah. you can run like Forrest Gump, basically. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's super interesting. And um, so were you trialling, like how did the first club, what was the club called again? Was it Blaze? Um, Wellington Blaze. Yeah, Wellington Blaze. How did they first, I guess, get in touch with you and discover who you were to be signed to the team? Yeah, it was quite quite crazy and so grateful how it how it happened. But yeah, like I sort of touched on, I didn't love cricket as a at school. Mm -hmm. It was always running, and I did it on the side because obviously, you know, merely played, and Mm. my dad and mum loved it, and my cousins did it. But I sort of was a part timer. Yeah. Indoor cricket really kept me in the sport as True. it was short and sharp and I I liked that. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't have the greatest patience at times, so spending a whole day playing cricket didn't appeal to me as a uh, as a young teen. Yeah. Um but um yeah, I played for school, so that was a bit of time out of school which I liked mm-hmm. on a Thursday and I think I bowled obviously really well at a school game and then I went on a website to see um a little article on Mealy as she had been playing mm-hmm. for the Blaze at quite a young age just to see, you know, what they wrote about her and mm-hmm. the new team as I'd played with some of them at school. And then all of a sudden I saw my name on the squad list of a wider training squad. Crazy. Yeah. There's the, there's the car. <laughs> For those listening, um, we have a very loud car blasting external music <laughs> outside. Um, but Jay, just the joys of where this podcast is, yeah. um, is situated. Um, anyway... Going back to, uh, yeah, the, the selection. So they must have been at that game and saw you yeah. bowl. It's just, it seems crazy they wouldn't, like, tell you beforehand. Yeah. Just like, boom, you're in the squad. Yeah, my, my dad worked for Cricket Wellington at the time. He wasn't a coach or anything. But I rung him. I'm like, is this, like, <laughs> did you know about this? He's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, what the heck? Like, uh, it was not in a t- not a team, but it was a widest training squad. Yep. And, and back then there was a lot of um, White Ferns, which is the New Zealand team, mm-hmm. um, in that training squad. So from there I just was then training twice a week in my last year of school 
with a lot of white ferns with Mealy, of course. Wow. Um, and from there, I just the the love for the game grew. I didn't mm. play that that summer, but the sort of desire to play grew from there. And I was like, I was sort of like, next next summer, I want to be playing and on mm. the park and and yeah, playing cricket, taking mm. it seriously, especially now that I can't run. Yeah, there's like the perfect timing where like one door closes and closes like a chapter on your potential running career but then opens up this total new opportunity with cricket. Um, yeah. The timing almost seems like a bit too perfect. Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big quote girl and it's a real cheesy one but sort of everything happens for a reason mm. and I think if I didn't have that calf injury um, I would still be running or, tr- you know, trying mm. to to fulfil my dreams of going to the Olympics and whatnot. But, I mean, from a kid, I was a naturally better yeah. cricketer. So it's, it's worked out for a reason somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And w- what's that relationship like with you and um, Amelia? Like, it must be amazing to be able to play in the same team and, like, just starting to, like, train with you, your younger sister. Is that, like, a really – there must be, like, a really special relationship for you guys. Yeah, it's really special. And, again, um, she probably almost inspired me to get back into the sport too um, – from about 10, she was that was her main sport. And mm. by 13, 14, she was in the Blaze. And 16, she was in the White Fern. So I got to watch her on weekends. And um, I got to go to the UK and watch her play in her first World Cup. And, awesome. and that was sort of my first sense of, OK, this is becoming a, yeah. a profession that, you know, if you work hard and you can you can sort of make a living out of this. So in a way, she was sort of like my older sister in, in that time, even though I'm mm. I'm the older one, but it sort of mm. made me see what there is out there and, and want to work hard. She's got a great work ethic, but um, yeah. yeah, it's it's really special to be able to do it alongside her. That's super cool, eh? And, and it's probably something which only a very small percentage of people actually get to experience is like playing professional sport with your sibling like yeah if you think about it it takes such a small percentile of an individual to make it to an elite profession um, across any discipline of sport but then to also share that moment with your uh, brother or your sister is like an even smaller fraction of the population that have um, experienced that so yeah it must just be such a cool a cool feeling going out there representing your country and also being with your uh you know with your little sister yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Very, very lucky and grateful. Yeah. Um, when So you get into the training camp with, um, with a blaze in year 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the steps in like the years sort of following? Um, like are you, can you do full-time cricket? Because um, I, I know you also like picked up a bit of study during that time as well. Yeah, so I guess my life out continued as normal. I went to school and just... Um, you know, it became sort of night trainings. And, and at that point, it, it, for domestic cricket, it still sort of is at the moment. It, it wasn't wasn't seen as professional. You mm. sort of trained at night. Everyone had a full-time mm. job or was at school or studying. And then you would play in, in the weekends. So it used to be you'd play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three three games in a row, which, which you're not allowed to do now. Bodies yeah. are too precious and whatnot, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. which is a good thing. But, um, yeah, so it didn't, it didn't affect school um, I was still thinking I need to mm-hmm. to study and, and get a job and whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, I think they had a few White Ferns contracts at that point, I believe. But again, you still had some that worked part-time jobs as the, the income wasn't wasn't mm-hmm. enough. So you sort of still, it was a passion in a way for, for those domestic girls and yeah. Um, yeah, a busy summer schedule. Yeah. So were you still studying and then you, be- so you study and you became a teacher Um we, so were you still juggling all of those like training commitments and games on top of like full time university? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm grateful actually. I managed to do full time university four years before I made the white ferns, and the mm. demand got got quite high. Um, but yeah, got through that, and then it was just all I ever knew with running too. I mean, I was training after school every day, and I never really had. Yeah, afternoons during primary school intermediate where I had nothing on or mm. weekends were always full. That mm. was sort of just how our family rolled. So yeah. it was sort of the same just throughout university and, and everything like that. So, yeah, um, yeah the, just the summer was busy while people sort of go away and have their holidays over yeah. the years and whatnot. You're often playing, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. what I enjoy. Man, yeah, it is. Um, have you seen a shift at the moment with especially women's sport, like – the popularity of women's sport. Um, 
yeah, I'd, I'd love love to hear your your perspective, just on maybe how yeah how things have changed over the the last few years. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible how how the growth the growth of the game really in cricket and also other sports too. I think having having those home World Cups, unfortunately mm. our cricket one was during COVID, but mm. the we got twenty percent capacity. I think we were allowed, but. We heard stories from people watching at home and um, the support we did have was was incredible. And then you saw the Rugby World Cup with the women. It was oh, man. amazing. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be a black fern. Yeah, I was like, yeah, why yeah, am I yeah, playing yeah. cricket? I want to I wanna be a black fern. I want to be a black fern <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure that inspired so many yeah. young girls. And then also the Football World Cup was, yeah. I went to some of those games. So yeah. it's, again, like you can't be what you you don't see and I think it's just the exposure that mm. that's grown I even look at the Wellington Blaze um, since the Super Smash we've we've been successful for a number of years and and as a result of that the the public have supported us mm. um, and it's my favorite time of year playing for Wellington mm. playing at the Basin Reserve and the Wellington crowd is just so fantastic with mm. getting behind the Wellington Blaze a you know women's cricket team I bet you 10 years ago they yeah wouldn't even consider coming hard yeah. out hard out and from like a uh like professional standpoint as well has there been like increases within um like contracts and like you know there's more popularity that you can actually treat this more of like a job because it pays better yeah for sure I mean I I studied full-time and then I made the white ferns um sort of from a breakout summer and that was the year I was starting my first year teaching mm-hmm. um then middle of that year I got my um, first White Ferns contract and that was sort of essentially full-time, not some girls still work part-time, but mm-hmm. obviously teaching you sort of have to be mm-hmm. at school. You can't totally. You can't work from home <laughs> teaching, unfortunately. <laughs> or I did for a little bit with COVID, but um, yeah, my my boss was so supportive with that. Yep. So for two years I, um, I taught and then now um, that's what, two, three Three years later, I'm I'm full cricket, and so are most of the girls. That's awesome. Um, so full time. Yeah, and even domestically now, we're getting match payments for for a couple of years. We'd play in the Super Smash Comp, which is our T20 mm-hmm. competition, mm-hmm. and we'd play the game before the boys. Um, we wouldn't get a match fee. The boys play um, the exact same game, and they they would get a match fee. So so, so yeah. So it's awesome now that. Um, the girls are getting match payments for that, especially yeah. over the summer periods. You know, we do love it, but you still are sacrificing mm. a bit, I guess, in a way. But mm. Um, mm. yeah. Um, and did you think, like, when you're going to university and um, then going into teaching, like, did you, was this always just like a bit of a dream for you to, like, be able to one day play professional cricket for the White Ferns? Um, or did you, like, always kind of think in your back pocket that you could make that a reality? Yeah, I, I guess by the point I became a teacher, I was set in the Wellington Blaze team and, and enjoying that. And I thought, um, all my family are teachers too, but I thought that's a great um, career to have, you know, the school holidays, then I can play cricket mm. in the summer. Um, I always dreamed to play for the White Ferns, but when it happened, I didn't think it would be that soon. It was probably a good thing in a way. You're not stressing about mm. every performance and how, how yeah, you true. played. But um, yeah, it was uh, once I decided yeah I want to stick with cricket and played a few seasons I that was definitely a goal but um it definitely came sooner than than what I had planned or thought it would Mm. um and like how because I guess throughout your journey like the really sort of common theme um is the amount of like health battles that you've um been faced with like how have how have like the resilience of overcoming some of them how like what have you learned throughout that entire process because I feel like for a lot of people who would be in the same shoes as you um you know what I mean it it could it could just be too much for them and uh so yeah I'd just love to understand how you got through some of those times um especially as like a type one diabetic as well so I'd, I'd also love just it's like heaps of questions in one but yeah what what uh, what have you learned through, I guess, those health barriers um, and then how are you currently, like, managing them today? Yeah, well, I guess in a in a weird way, I'm really grateful that I got diabetes and, and also Bowes palsy and some of those health issues at a young age as a mm. kid. And 
so, you know, when people sort of ask who your role models are or who you looked up to, I, I did have those people, but I sometimes almost look back to younger Jess and mm, think, nice. she, you know, kids are so resilient more than more than you think. Oh, and yeah. sometimes I look back to my younger self and think I was a tough kid because I just wanted to play sport and do what I love. Um, sometimes now it's harder to deal with, mm. you know. Um, setbacks and things like that because I guess there's more on the line than, than mm. just being a kid and growing mm. up. So, um, yeah, I'm grateful that, one, I was a, was young when I got it and sort of didn't have to change my lifestyle too much as yep. you would as an adult. I think that would be a harder, yep. harder jump, I guess, yeah. especially through your teenage years and whatnot. I sort of knew no different. Mm. Um I had a great support network, which, again, was so grateful, and and also a medical support team too. Um, My first question after um, all those diagnoses, I I was like, can I play sport? And that was my first question. I don't care if I have to inject myself (laughs) seven times a day. Just tell me I can run again. At that point, I was 13. So they said, yep, you can run again. You're going to have to have some time off and get healthy again, but... That was sort of once I heard that, I'm like, right, okay, that's my goal. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be healthy so I can do what I love. Mm. And in a in a way, I think that's with diabetes because you can't have a day off and you can't rest mm. um, at all. That almost helps you as an athlete too. Like mm. I need to almost think and make more decisions probably than your average human, which mm. helps me as an athlete mm. as well because mm. you're having to think about. Um, you know, what am I eating? Or yeah. if I don't do this, I could go low and then I'm going to feel like crap. So you sort yeah. of face consequences, I guess, earlier than maybe a normal human being would. Yeah, um, totally. But yeah. yeah. Um, and for those who don't know, can you just talk to, I guess, like what what is it like today to be living with type 1 diabetes? Like what sort of steps do you have to take at the moment to ensure like your blood, blood sugars are all right? Like what is, how, how do you manage that health condition? Yeah, so type 1 diabetes is essentially your pancreas doesn't produce insulin, which um, is you need it to live, essentially. Mm. So I have to be my own pancreas in a way, and that's either by injecting or through an insulin pump. So when I, I, I injected for a year, um, that was about six to seven injections a day. Um, mm-hmm. right, it's a lot, eh? A lot, yeah. As for, for a young kid, I, I feel so sorry for... Um, you know, parents with little babies mm. where, where they're the one having to, you know, essentially do yeah. the controlling for their, their kid. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the technology has improved so much since I got it when I was 13. I'm 26 now. So I've got a insulin pump. I've got a sensor on my arm, unfortunately not funded. So I'm grateful I can can have that. And that makes my life so much easier. But What does that do, the sensor? The sensor connects to my pump. Um, and it tells me my levels without having to finger prick. Um, so... I can essentially look down at my pump and I'll know my level at any given time. Oh, that's good. When, when I was about, you know, throughout school, I would have to go and get my little bag out, prick my finger, get some blood out um, to find out my level. And obviously, you know, it's not going away. You've got it forever. So doing that five to six times a day, mm. you're, you're going to start getting a bit sick of it. And, and I did it. Your poor finger as well. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I used to have marks and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, the sensor is amazing in that. Mm-hmm. I really hope it gets funded one day. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that that has been a massive lifesaver. Um, mm. So, essentially, I'm checking my levels and, and um, I have to carbohydrate count okay. um, just so I know how much insulin to give myself. Yeah. Um, I, I eat whatever I want. Yeah. Um, I don't want to restrict myself too much in that sense. It's, it's tough enough having diabetes. You don't want to totally. live like a robot. Yeah, and 100%. You still want to be happy and, and whatnot. You just It's just you need to know what you're eating so you can give yourself enough insulin and, yeah. and whatnot and then try and keep your levels essentially between four and four and eight is the, the good range. Is that the sweet spot? The sweet spot, yeah. 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 Um, and does that affect like performance at all in any way as well? Yeah, it can. If I go low, which is below four I probably am off the field I can't I can't function properly um you get the shakes and feel dizzy and weak and mm. just need about 10-15 minutes to just get your levels back up and mm. luckily that means you can have a bit of sugar but some, sometimes you don't feel like it when you're feeling really really crap and low um so 
that has an immediate effect if I'm low. So when I'm playing cricket, I'm trying to avoid going low and I don't mind if I run a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. But if I am constantly high, my blood sugar, it's sort of the symptoms you get before being diagnosed where you'll have to pee lots, you'll start mm-hmm. losing weight, um, you get kidney damage, you can mm-hmm. lose your vision, um, sort of longer term, you know, effects, yeah. um, your bone health and, and whatnot. So it's trying to try and stay in those levels as much as possible. But yep. obviously you you don't have the pancreas giving you a perfect amount like like mm. yours would. So you're essentially doing your own, trying to guess mm. what you eat, how f- different foods react. So it can mm. be a bit of a, a juggling act, but um, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to it, eh? Um, and how did you first discover that you had diabetes was there how, were you 13 when you diagnosed yeah I was 13 I probably I was very late to be diagnosed in the fact I probably had it for a, over a year True. or two um probably was disguised because I was running so much yep. I drank tons of water because I was running mm-hmm. I was running so I was obviously little mm. um but I I was about 33 kgs when I was diagnosed at wow. 13 years old, which is... True, that's so little, eh? Tiny. Yeah. Um, I was peeing about five times in the night. Um, like, water was like a drug, like you just needed it. It wasn't, wow. it wasn't a want, it was a need. Um, those, those were the main ones. And then I just started getting so tired at school. And obviously I was keeping up my running and mm. going to school and it got to a point where I just wanted to sleep in. And I said to mum, I've got a sore ear. I didn't even have, I think I just made it up in my head. True, your body was just yeah. shot. And because I wasn't actually okay, usually mum's a bit like, you know, toughen up, you're all right yep. sort of thing. Yep. But she took me to the to the doctors and, um, you know, Tawa's a small community and mm. we knew the nurse. And she said, your ear's totally fine, but you don't look you don't look all right. You look quite unwell. And, yeah, she took took my blood sugar. It was about 28, 29. And, yeah, she said, you're a type 1 diabetic. You're going to have to cancel your week. And, and yeah, I was sent straight to Wellington Hospital. Damn, that's crazy, eh? Oh, it's, it's so amazing we, like, live in a day and age where, you know, something like that is so manageable. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't know how that was treated 50 or 60 years ago, but it seems like with technology... Um, you know, you can have type 1 diabetes and if you stay on top of it, you can still, you know, play a professional at, at, um, professional sport at, like, the most elite level. So, yeah, it's real, real interesting like that. What through, Throughout all your health battles, what has been, like, your biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome and how did you do it? That's a good question. I guess... I guess it's just the constant thinking as well as being an athlete. Um, obviously, the demand with what I do at the moment physically mm-hmm. is quite high um, for, for everyone in our team. So um, it involves two two to four trainings a day. Um, you know, you might be running, biking, gymming, mm-hmm. then your cricket skills. So it's, I guess, like I said, forward thinking. And I can't just go and do that. I need to think about my levels in between. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have enough lollies on hand as mm-hmm. my... You know, insulin going to go and work properly, and you yeah. just you can't you can't predict how your levels will react on on any given day. That, yeah. I think that's the hard thing. You you can prepare well, but it can throw a curveball at, at any minute. So mm. it's just in a way it prepares you well for, for being an athlete. But true, um, yeah, I guess it's just the the extra decisions and things you have to make um, on top of mm. being an athlete. But, but mm. like, like you said, you can still do it. It's just yeah. you might have to do a little bit more behind the scenes just to get your, your health right. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, like, that's the physical side of things. But I guess on the other hand is, like, the whole mental side of things as well. And, like, to have the mental grit and, res- and resilience to um, bounce back after uh, – you know, being diagnosed with, um, you know, diabetes. How have you got through some of the more, like, mental challenges that are associated with different medical conditions? Yeah, again, I think the age with with diabetes in particular was a good thing, and, and again, sport mm. was my outlet. So I didn't, I didn't, honestly, I didn't care as long as I could do sport. So True. I felt grateful that it was that and not something else, and that's sort of how our family has looked at things, sort of, being grateful for for what you have mm. um so not that I'm like yeah I've got <laughs> diabetes but you know there are still some positives to it as well yeah. um but yes 
Yeah, yeah, lollies, yeah, exactly. Pascal sponsorship, surely. Yeah, I can pretend when I'm eating lollies and I'm not low, I'll just say I'm low and it's acceptable. Exactly, hard <laughs> out. Lollies are always acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is there anything that you do at the moment to like better support your uh, mental health? Uh, I think it's just like, I'm really close with my family, so it's just enjoying time at time at home. I don't like thinking too far ahead. Mm. I think that's almost a diabetes mindset mm, too. And, always planning. Yeah, and also the thought of having it forever can probably seem quite scary. When yeah. if it's sort of just one day at a time, yeah. it, it's doable and achievable. And you know, pe- people might you know say, "Oh, there's a cure coming," or this and that. It's like okay all good but I don't want to live thinking mm. that which might be negative but you know if you take it one day at a time it mm. forever doesn't seem as scary and 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 I can still you know do what I love playing sport I can mm. still eat I you know I can eat what I want I can do this and that it's mm. just again I'm probably making some more decisions or I might end up going high or low because of it but yeah um, it's all perspective though exactly it's all perspective yeah. um and there's so man yeah I've got like a close family friend who's um yeah, been like diagnosed with one of like the rarest cancers in the world, and he's like a sixteen-year-old boy, um, and oh, it's just bloody heartbreaking, eh? Because it's yeah. incurable. Surgeons wouldn't operate on him, and now he's uh, got to the point where like the tumors growing in his stomach are just so massive you can see it visibly on him. He's got like he's on round the clock sort of morphine and. Mm. It's just all happened so fast. Yeah. And I, I, I've, yeah, I, I think seeing him recently and like the updates that you put on Facebook and stuff, I'm like, man, you've got to be so grateful and so thankful for like what you've got. You know for what I mean? Because sure. so many people have it so much worse. And I always like to think of that whenever I'm like going on a run or if I'm at the gym and it's just like really sitting in that moment and appreciating like that we are I, I am able to move my body yeah. I'm able to like live and touch wood and be healthy you know yeah. what I mean because um, it, yeah it's all it's all perspectives eh? you got to ground yourself yeah. yeah yeah so true um what has been some of your like biggest highlights across your uh cricket career so far Jess yeah, I guess, um, like I said before, I've, I love playing for the Wellington Blaze, mm. um, and we've been quite a successful team. So we've won a few national titles and with the Super Smash, and that's always a really, really happy memory, um, doing that, yeah, playing at home in Wellington with the crowd. That's, mm. that's always awesome. And, yeah, probably one season in particular we won unbeaten, and it was the season I played really well, which, which essentially made me a white fern. So that's epic. I'm always grateful for that because, you know, it was cricket at Wellington that mm. allowed me to play and, you know, I, I sort of grew up um, not in the system as a kid, but I did have coaches and, mm. and you know, trained for a few years and then to have that and be rewarded with playing for the national side is, yeah. was really special. And then, yeah, I guess your, your debut for New Zealand um, and, and going to World Cups, so I don't think you can ever take it for granted because again you never know when it could be mm. taken away but mm. I think it's also a pinch me moment that this is yeah. this is my job it yeah. doesn't feel like a job yeah. but you know I'm traveling the world doing what I love with my sister with my, with my friends and yeah absolutely loving it that's so so cool literally living out your dream eh? yeah um within the realm of of cricket like playing for, like in a world in a world cup is huge did you guys, did you get to play in the Olympics as well? So the girls played in the Commonwealth Games. I actually broke, uh, I, no, I broke my toe another time and I missed a tour actually, but I, no. I had an injury. So I, that w- I found that really tough actually because yeah. obviously my childhood self really grew up watching the Olympics and Commonwealth Games. 100%. Um, so I was pulled out of that quite late due to an injury um, and yeah, was picked in the team and everything. But yeah, that it was really special because the girls won won bronze there and mm. I was in the UK um, about to play in another tournament. I just wasn't quite ready then. But, um, yeah, it's it's named in the Olympics now and, yeah. When's yeah. the next Olympics? Oh. It's every four years, eh? Yeah. I can't even remember when the last one was. 20, is it this? Was it meant to be 2020 but then it was COVID 2021? Yeah. So 25 maybe? Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, well, this year or next year. Far out. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I'm always really interested from different professional athletes. Like, I feel like a lot of people 
when you think of a professional um, sportsman, sportsman or woman, you think like, I, don't, I think you have a different pers- uh, perception on what a life looks like as a professional athlete. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you, like what are some of the misconceptions that people might not understand about being a professional athlete? Yeah, I guess for one, I think sometimes people think you're, you've got more free time than, than you actually do when you are at home. Um, but there's a lot of... Tr- when you're a professional athlete, you obviously see people on TV and playing yeah. sport, but you don't see the work that goes behind the scenes. So, mm. yeah, when I'm at home, I'm not, I might not be, you know, playing games, but I'm, I'm training. And yeah. um, I think it's also that with cricket, there's so many skills mm. involved in the sport. I mean, when mm. I was running, you just run. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, do yeah. maybe one or two gym sessions, but... There's, that's it. When cricket, it's I'm a bowler, but I also might have to bat, mm. and I want to develop my batting. And mm. then there's fielding; everyone has to field. But then you want to be strong and fit, and there's all that to it. Um, and then also like the mental skills side and mm. the food and nutrition. Mm. Um, so I, th- I think it's all the pillars that are involved with with being an athlete in in that sense. Um, yeah, and I guess also it's not as glamorous. As it seems, like I said, I absolutely love it. But um, you, again, you see what's on TV and mm. people running out on the field and living living their dream. But there's also three or four people on the bench that aren't playing and are absolutely gutted. And, and mm. I've been that person mm. as well. Mm. Um, or, or like I said, I missed out on the Commonwealth Games. That's was a huge low for me. So I think you have extreme highs and and quite big lows compared yeah. to like my job as a as a teacher. It was yeah. pretty pretty level um obviously i i love the job i'm in and you take the lows for the highs but um i guess yeah it's not as glamorous Mm. as as people might think Mm. it is or as easy as people might think Mm. it is yeah Mm. i think i think you nailed it there because yeah when you're watching people on tv whether it's like super rugby cricket or football you do associate you do associate their job as like it is something which is very glamorous and oh cool that would be nice but I don't think people really understand like the real hard work that goes into being the best at something like I remember when we had um, TJ Pedinara on the podcast he was saying that even on the like when he wanted to become an All Black he would train when the All Blacks were playing Mm. because for him that was like an edge that he would have even though they were still playing rugby at that time they wouldn't be, you know, running 10 kilometres or they wouldn't be in the gym. So he yeah. saw that as like a leg up. And there's just such a different, I think, mindset eh, for those who are in the like elite of their field um, and how they sort of go go about their work and their work, and, and their work ethic. Yeah. Has there been any learnings that you've had through any individuals along the way who just have like a crazy work ethic that you've, you know, got something from? Yeah, I guess Mealy is a great example of that. And, and again, I, I saw that before I decided I wanted to be a cricketer. She mm. was 10 years old and she was training lots, but she was training with a purpose. She was with my dad. He was pretending to be, you know, a bowler and you need this amount of runs and X amount of overs and sort of putting that pressure on her from a young age. Like, mm. it's a World Cup final. And, True. And, you know, that's that's what she wanted to do, but... Um, she was training with a purpose from a young age and yeah. and now she goes out and gets extra extra hits than what's available for her. I mean, we're lucky our dad loves throwing balls to us and, <laughs> does and he she, still do that? Yeah, he yeah. does. Um his his shoulders a bit rugged now, but um <laughs> and she's got other people that that obviously love throwing to her and things like that. But she's she's always one for doing the little extras and I guess it's a fine balance of you don't want to overtrain and, and do too much. Mm. But um yeah, she's one of the best in the world. And I think Susie Bates, who's um, in mm-hmm. the White Ferns as well, she's she's got an incredible work ethic too. And, and she's just a great person. And mm-hmm. I think the mix of those two, it's just she's been a great role model as well for, for a lot of our teammates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Eh? And with your nutrition, do they like give you nutrition plans? Like you have to be pretty dialed across all, all of the year? That's probably an, another misconception too with you get you get sort of this is what's suggested and have X amount of, I don't know, like carbs or whatnot mm-hmm. on a game day, but people probably think 
you shouldn't eat this and that, but it's almost you need to eat more than what you think. Because you're burning um, so many calories yeah, and stuff. And, yeah, and while cricket, you're not running 24-7, you're, it's a long game, so it's sort of that mind focus and having mm. that energy to, you know, 50 over cricket is about six hours, you it's know. Crazy, so eh? if you're a batter and bowler, you need to be fueling yeah. yourself and, and eating eating a lot and a, a lot of carbohydrates and, totally. and things like that. So, um, yeah, we've, ju- we've just got a nutritionist on board, so that will cool. be really helpful um but yeah again if we want to treat ourselves we can just because we're athletes doesn't (laughs) doesn't mean we can't totally got got to live a little way exactly um within the realm of women's cricket as well is there a bit of sledging that goes on do you guys give each other shit i don't think as bad as the men's game um probably a few chirps here and there we often chirp to each other in the net sometimes but um yeah not not again probably what people would think but um and again i think the men's game is a lot worse mm. i think we're just too Especially nice the Aussies, eh? oh you hear yeah them on you the hear camera, that all the like, time oh, um has, has there been any like sledging which you've heard like any like bad situations that have sort of popped up of different people sort of talking shit no i've had yeah really good sort of situations really so yeah. no one's and I've played in in Australia and in the UK as well and yeah they're they're all good people really and um you know as much as the rivalry we have with Australia they actually do want us to do well and mm. I think you know they are they are the best in the world and have been for years but yeah. um yeah no I'm lucky in that sense maybe I'll get sledged next time who knows <laughs> maybe I was about to say I can't really imagine you like just absolutely abusing someone on the, <laughs> <laughs> on, the on the cricket field so that's yeah that's that's probably a good thing have you played in India before no I haven't we, we're scheduled to go this year awesome um, which will be amazing um, it's it's like a religion over there cricket Crazy, um, right? obviously gone with the the WPL and mm-hmm. my dad went over too and they just came back beaming, um, absolutely loved it. So they were looked after very well. It is, um, I was talking to somebody the other day and like, <clears throat> I feel like with, with Amelia, like she's becoming like a bit more of like a household name in New Zealand, but she's probably hit like a really amazing sweet spot where, you know, overseas in India, <clears throat> she's an absolute superstar. Like mm-hmm. she would be, it's, you look at me followers, she's gone on Instagram, know, it's, it's yeah. wild. And then in New Zealand, I feel like, most people, if they don't follow cricket, probably wouldn't, wouldn't really recognise her on the street or anything. Yeah. So she's kind of got like a really good level of fame without having the fame in New Zealand to that same degree, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And on the flip side, I remember um, someone saying like Virat Kohli, who I'm sure most people have heard mm. of, but he's an Indian cricketer. Mm. He could not leave his house in India. Um, so he loves coming to New Zealand to tour because True. sometimes people don't recognise him. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure the cricket fans would be starstruck yeah. and would you know he'd still get pulled over he's you know an incredible cricketer but um, yeah. a, a lot of people would, wouldn't know a thing about cricket he'd probably get by in New Zealand and Australia and totally yeah Pro- probably the same with like golf as well yeah like, I think that cricketer you just mentioned I'm pretty is he the one that's got more followers than LeBron James Pro- yeah I think he does yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that is just like, I guess living in like a Western country. Yeah you think it's like Le- the royal family almost totally like you think who's more popular like who's Name a bigger sports sportsman or sports figure yeah. than LeBron James, yeah. and then there's like a it's crazy. Yeah. It's such a huge sport. Yeah. Um, when you go over there in India, what what do you think the crowds would be they're, in terms of size? They're definitely they're definitely growing. I think um, Australia were just there, and they they had quite a big crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I couldn't I couldn't tell you numbers, but again, the growth of the women's game from yeah ten years ago, five years ago, mm. that they're starting to sell out crowds now too which is mm. is incredible because a lot of those Indian cricketers they didn't see that as a career growing up either and mm. s- some had to you know pretend they were I think one cut their hair to pretend they were a boy when they were younger to, really yeah well to try and make it in professional like men's cricket not professional but just to play <laughs> as a kid in a in a team uh, um yeah far out yeah that is a crazy story um yeah, it's super, it's super interesting. It's definitely, definitely growing a lot. And for you, excuse me, for, for you and your career, um, like what are the next steps that you sort of want to unlock and achieve? Do you want to make it to the like uh, Women's Premier League over in India? Is that like a goal? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess I'm a bit new, newer, new but not new in, in my 
career compared to, to merely. But, yeah, I've been lucky enough to play in the Big Bash and I've absolutely loved that and that's been a real highlight of my, my cricketing career as well. Mm. Um, I was a wild card in, in the UK, so that that meant I didn't play but I was sort of an injury replacement. Mm-hmm. So, again, that was another, like, wow, I'm not just getting picked for New Zealand, but, like, I'm getting yeah. picked as an international player, and that was sort of a... That's huge. But, yeah, I guess the next step is, um, one, I'd, my dream is to win a World Cup for New Zealand mm. and, and also to be, you know, a consistent and great New Zealand player mm. um, who who plays for a number of years and, mm. and, and does well for the team. But And then from there, I guess, that goes into the WPL and playing in the big bash in the leagues and things like that. Mm. But um, ultimately, I want to play the best I can for, for my country and mm. and do that for a number of years consistently and, and, and help help my team win games of cricket, I guess. Yeah, super cool. Um, within the, like, I guess across your career so far, um, and, and just life in, in general, have you had any, like, really integral, like, mentors who have helped you get to where you are today? My dad is probably my, my biggest one in terms of cricket. I mean, my family in general I'm close with, but my dad, I, um, it's really cute. Every, after every game when we're away overseas, I sort of live for a message from my dad, and it's just a review, um, a review of the game, whether it's good or bad. It's, it's honest, but it's constructive, and it's, always got something nice to it too and I really value his opinion you know mm. some sometimes people are like oh my dad is just commenting on my game and he's so annoying mm. but I I want that message because he's just been yeah a great influence in my life with my cricket and mm. like I said never pushed me to do anything and just wants me to be happy and be a good person really so mm. he sort of keeps me me grounded and not ride the highs or lows too much and and look towards the next game, but um, mm. yeah, he'd he'd do anything for me in in terms of my cricket, and I don't know my family would too, but he's yeah. been a big influence with my cricket. He's, he's, he sounds like a legend. What's his name? Robbie. Shout out Robbie. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Robbie. You've done a bloody good job, mate. You've done really good. Um, have you had any like haters? I think this is a really interesting question to ask people who are um, you know professional uh, athletes. Have you had like a hater before? Oh, you get people online that comment stuff but to be honest I don't read it and mm. it's it's often you know fans from India or you know older older people who probably don't play cricket or don't don't get the game and um yes yeah, you, you just laugh really but um no I've never really had had too many haters and, and sort of how I've been brought up as um I've got my my circle of people who I know love mm. love me and mm. that's who I'm gonna put time into and and invest in so yeah yeah again it's not not looking at the outside noise too much and that's also when you're going really well too mm. I mean the media can can hype you up big time yeah. and yeah when you when you're not it, they they sort of can turn on you too so I think it's just who are, who are your people, you mm. know, who, who are the ones you need to listen to and keep you grounded, whether that's coaches or family or friends and mm. and, and staying with that. But there's always comments online for mm. sure. So you just, your process is just basically block them out, which I think is probably the smartest thing yeah, you don't, can do. Don't even, don't even read it really. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's no point really. Yeah. I think I got my first uh, hater, quote unquote hater, on following the video or sorry the um, episode we did with um, Amelia Kerr and I think it was somebody commenting on the YouTube video and was like having a go saying that like because I use swear words that could have triggered Amelia to have like some mental health like episode I was just like what the hell (laughs) like you know but it's it's so funny with um, negative comments and Mm. quote-unquote haters it's you can get a million and one positive messages from different individuals and then there's that one that stands out and sure. for whatever reason it makes you stop and like maybe something I probably need to take a leaf out of your book is um, you know really just taking it with a grain of salt or not even taking it in at all because you know who are these people behind behind screens um, yeah. but it must be super tough especially you know 
for some of those, um, like a lot more players around the world who have that exposure and just the amount of abuse they get from fans. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just horrible. Eh? You see some terrible comments. Yeah, and it can tear people apart too, which is, is mm. really sad. I mean, me and Melia are so lucky. We've got a great family mm. family base, but if you, if you don't have that, then mm. who's going to tell you to ignore those things or yeah. not worry about it? So 100%. Yeah. Um, and what's it... What's up with Tawa and producing like so many amazing cricket players? Like, how many? Yeah, like, is there something like what is going on there? Like, how many people from Tawa are in the New Zealand team? Um, at the moment, we've got four, um, four contracted, <laughs> which is yeah. And, and the the fun fact is, is that we've all at different times lived on the same street in Tawa. That is which crazy. is wild. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Again, maybe a little shout out to to my dad, Robbie, as he coached me at school mm-hmm. um, when I was when I was a kid. He coached merely, and um, he was actually uh, Sophie Devine's first coach for the Blaze too. He picked her mm-hmm. when she was about fourteen years old. So, True. Um, yeah, obviously it's it's not my dad, but um, there's a common team. Yeah, yeah, you obviously need good coaches and people around, and I guess it's been a really strong front in the in the female. Um, the female game that we've had lots of girls coming through and yeah we've got one or two more in the Wellington Blaze team too so almost half the team is from Tawa who are playing for Wellington at, at the moment so it's it's pretty special. That is crazy. Um, there's an amazing book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. Don't know if you've read that before? No. Um, and it's, he, he looks into investigating like who are the outliers in society like who are the individuals have succeeded at such a high level so talking about Steve Jobs Bill Gates like the Beatles and he looks into how they got to where they are today and it's not just like a a portion of it is luck but there's also different circumstances in these individuals lives which has got them to where they are um, and how and why they're so successful like I think Bill Gates he had access to like one of the first computers in the world because his mum uh, like worked at a university. Yeah. So like he could like sort of learn how to code and stuff from a really young age. Same with like the Beatles. I think they got to uh, like perform over in Europe, like do over 20 shows a week for like three years. So mm. they got so good and they went over to the UK. Um, but I, I'd, I'd love to understand there must be like a common thread between all of you guys in Tawa which has got you, like there must be something different which is not happening elsewhere. Maybe it is your dad, maybe it's Robbie, <laughs> but there would 100% be some sort of secret formula. It would be yeah, real interesting to unpack that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know too, but yeah, I guess part of it's the cricket club, yeah, North true. City and Tawa, and, and a lot of us played with boys as well. Um, so yeah, I guess playing it, that tough sort of competition because there wasn't really girls cricket teams there and and mm. and now there are and it's it's grown and um even the school competitions that intermediate and and college and it's just the people you play with as well but mm. um yeah yeah I don't know but I guess it's a, it's a community tower too so hard out um yeah, yeah. I, I'm proud to be from there that's super cool um awesome well we'll finish up in a second just with some uh quick fire questions and a quote but where can people stay in touch with you and your mahi, Jess? Um, I'm mainly on Instagram, just Jessie Kerr. Um, two E's is my the Jessie with just one E had been taken. Nice. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Jessie 01, do yeah. one of those ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just no numbers, just Jessie Kerr, yeah. Nice. Awesome. And we'll chuck a link into the description below. Um, Jessie, what brings you true happiness? Uh, definitely my family and the sunshine. Nice. Advice you wish you knew about when you were younger? Um, I think just to try everything and, and yeah, I, t- I took running very seriously and I don't regret that, but also get involved in as many things as possible when you're mm. young and, and yeah, you, there's no point feeling too much pressure when you're a young kid. Just enjoy and do everything and enjoy it. So true. What does legacy mean to you? Oh, it's a tough one. I would say... and. Again, this comes from my parents and grandparents, but probably just number one, being a good person. Mm. If I can be a good person and make people feel feel valued and special, then then I'm doing something right. Mm. If you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? 
oh, selfishly probably talking about the the senses. I would yeah, nice. with diabetes. I'd love those to be funded, and and also just for for kids under eighteen too, mm. for um for parents who are sort of being being the type one diabetic for their kids. I think that would be amazing for that to be funded because so mm. many people can't can't afford that and are i'm they, sure there's many other health conditions too that people yeah. are paying for are they expensive the monitors yeah, they're they're about 100 150 dollars for for a couple of weeks so for a couple of weeks yeah yeah uh. and obviously type one's hereditary too so if you've got a couple couple diabetics in the family it, it certainly adds up yeah but true it definitely makes your diabetes better it's mm. a lifesaver so mm. Yeah, that's that's a little selfish one, but again, it's it's for the the health of for the better good. Yeah. What do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? Um, again, it's probably what we talked about with like the confidence of you know almost tall poppy syn- syndrome people 100%. bringing bringing you down, but then also you know you shut people down for being arrogant, but also you want to teach people to be confident mm. and express themselves and. Mm do what they enjoy and their talents so mm. yeah mm. yeah it's such a massive theme across the podcast and everyone's sort of experience today like people who drag others down because of what they want to succeed and um yeah it wouldn't be good if there's a world where no one was called to try hard <laughs> yeah yeah exactly cool this is a quote from maya angelo also don't know who this individual is but it's a good quote uh you may not control all the events that happen to you but you can decide not to be reduced by them cheers jesse really appreciate it awesome thanks noah